Hi, this is Charlie Peck. I'm with Thriving School Community Podcast, and we've got a great conversation with Ryan Pelkey today. We've met on Clubhouse, and we talk a lot about this. So Ryan, just say hi to everybody for me, please. Greetings, everybody. Welcome to uh, another great podcast. Well, thank you for that. Yeah, you know what? It's needed. We need to talk about this like we do a lot, but there's a lot of controversial pieces around mental health in our schools. And so I'd love to start off with just telling people the role that you're playing right now because you're wearing a lot of hats. What's going on? So I'm currently a part-time administrator at a middle school here in Virginia, uh, Northern Virginia, out near DC. Um, I still teach health and PE, which I've done for about 23 years. And I'm a school administrator for athletics. So as soon as school gets over, I'm running a program now with four sports, uh, 13 overall uh, throughout the year. But I'm wearing many hats and it's okay because it keeps me busy. I'm glad you like to be busy, but how are you actually managing to do that? Uh, Patience. Uh, I want to get into administration, so it's a great fit. Um, I've already done administration in the past. I know my role and I feel more comfortable handling one major problem at a time instead of 50 all at once for the class of 50. So I'm, I'm happy with that. Um, but overall, it's a matter of taking time for myself as well. That self-care. I have a 45 minute drive to school and from school every day. Listen to a lot of music. Clubhouse is a great alternative for it as well. But it helps me relax and get refocused for the next day. All right. Well, that's good. I mean, at least you have an outlet. I know that drive is, I've never really had a long drive to work. That's actually, I don't know if that's good or bad, but I can imagine that that's really good downtime on the way there and back to kind of just deflate a little bit. Um, And so, okay, let's talk a little bit about what you're seeing with regards to mental health in our schools. What is like one of the biggest issues that you constantly see in schools right now? Um, I see a lot of kids that are not coming out and saying that they're hurt but they, I know they are based on their actions, based on them acting out or based, they're acting in and, and, and encompassing everything. And of course, I see a lot of mental health issues with our teachers as well. You do. And how does that show up, Ryan? It shows up with a lot of absenteeism from students and teachers. Um, one of the big problems, you know, and, and it's uh, across the board, across the nation that we're dealing with kids not coming to school, but we're also dealing with teachers that are like leaving the profession, the great teacher resignation is still going on from COVID. And it's just one more thing that's added onto people's plates on teachers' plates. And it's overwhelming. It's hard for them to kind of um, take it and say, okay, I'll do this on top of everything else I'm doing. In the past, it didn't seem so much, but I think because we've pivoted during COVID, had to teach online, had to teach hybrid, and then we came out of it and we're still getting more and more stuff on our plate. Um, There's a lot of pressure from the government. There's a lot of pressure from local organizations to improve test scores, get us out of that quote unquote learning loss. And it's really putting a lot of stress on the kids as well for them to excel. And it's got to change. Yeah. You know, we've talked a lot about this. We've talked a lot about our teachers complaining too much and what, who should be accountable for youth behavior and student behavior showing up in our schools. And that's causing a lot of problems. I know you said something about um, that we need to raise the bar for kids and we actually should set it high. And I think some people balk at that because in the past, we're like, well, they're taking out too much. But tell me your philosophy around that. Why? My philosophy is that bar stays high the whole time. I've never lowered my bar for anyone at any time. Didn't matter who it was. Now, I'm going to give effort 
to push them up to that bar. I'm going to offer them the tools to get to that bar. I'm going to offer my hand for adults who need the help to bring them up to that bar. But as soon as we start lowering our standards and lowering the bar and saying, well, it's okay that we don't turn work in on time. It's okay that we don't get a, a pass this class. We'll still push you out for the year. It's not creating anything that they can use for the rest of their life. They get out in the real world. They're not getting a free handout. They need to work. They need to show that, you know, and if then statement, if you work, you're going to get paid and then you can take care of the bills and everything like that. But if we keep keep the bar high, they're going to know how to get the tools in order, get above that bar and over that bar or know who to reach out to, to get their hands to hold up for it. And it's going to teach them also to help other people. So what do you say to teachers who feel like they're chasing kids so much? Because that's a problem, too. For their work, if, you know, teachers understand that, I think. About 35, almost 40 years ago, I met, 35 years ago, I met Joe Clark, the guy from Lean On Me. And he said, fair, firm, and consistent. And that's just kind of like drilled into my brain. Um, he was a speaker at a, a one of my freshman year of college. And it just, I'm repeating it to everyone else. Fair, firm, and consistent. Hold your ground. Make sure that you're the one that always reaches out and helps people. Because if you say, no, I'm not doing this and then don't help, it's you're part of the problem. You constantly have to think about how I can be a part of the solution. And that's going to be infectious. It's going to be along other people and say, well, it's not that hard to be able to help. It's not that hard to say, yeah, I can complain about something, but I'm going to get four or five solutions. And that's what we need to do more as an educational community. We need to come with more solutions instead of just bringing our problems to the table saying, fix it. There's no one here to fix it anymore. It's up to us. We have to fix it. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I was certainly one of those teachers at one point in my career, I started and it was probably because the culture was there and I just kind of fed into it. Like I gave kids an out, but then I also observed how detrimental that was. It was not working well for them. It just wasn't working well for them. And, and they weren't feeling really good about the work they were doing. So I did adjust that along the way because I did learn that that wasn't good for kids and it wasn't good for me as a teacher. I didn't feel good about what I was doing and help because they weren't learning. You're absolutely right. So what specifically, because I know you're a huge mental health advocate, what specifically do you think teachers can do now when they hear that word more, it's overwhelming for them? So can you maybe share a, a strategy or something that they can do to like, uh, I guess not like adjust their expectations or let those kids reach high without adding more to their workload? Does that make sense? Break it apart. I mean, you do that part whole thing all the time when you're teaching your conduct, your 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 parts, whether it's math or social studies or whatever, you break it apart into smaller pieces. And if you know that you have, you know, one of the things we recently talked about was we're gonna teach kids how to take a test. We're gonna have to teach them how to, when we have our standardized tests, get rid of the questions that don't answer. You know, you're not supposed to answer. So if you can focus on that for a little bit and then get to other things, realize the sky's not gonna fall or the sun will still come out tomorrow if you don't get to certain things. Now we're all under that time crunch where we have to do everything in a short amount of time. It is overwhelming, but if you kind of focus on one thing and you're gonna to have to differentiate that one thing to a lot of your students because they have a lot of different needs. But if you keep on with that one thing and that one goal in mind, you attain it, go on to the next goal. And one of the things that I've told my players and different sports that I've coached over the years, you make a mistake, you flush it. It's done with, gone. Doesn't, it doesn't sit around if you flush your mistake. 
And you need to have that same mentality in the classroom as well. You know, if we have a, a bad section, you flush it, you tell your students, we're going to retest, we're going to figure out what we need to work on. I have always done a pretest with teaching health and then a post test. So I know what they know to come in. And then at the end, I asked to do a post test. And it could be a really simple couple of questions to see if they picked up on what I'm doing. And if not, I'm going to revisit those facts. So if you can keep it simple, I know it's overwhelming, but the biggest thing is you got to take the weight off your shoulders, you know, rely on your other co-teachers, rely on the internet. You know, it's a great resource for you to find ways to make it fun, make learning fun. So take the load off your shoulders by, you're going to have to recreate the wheel. It's, we're not in the same school system we were five years ago. It's changed. So you have to change with it. And the, and if you don't, that's where you're going to feel totally overwhelmed. How can they take the pressure off themselves to be a learner while they're trying to readapt or not readapt, I guess, readjust to this education system when they feel so many pressures put on them? I mean, I hear a lot about teachers saying, well, my administrators are putting a lot on me or I feel like I've got to do this and that. Is there something they can do that, you know, from your point of view, is there something that they can take off their plate that they feel like they should do, but they really actually don't have to do much of? I think they need to accept boundaries. They need to set boundaries within certain things. And there's a lot coming at them and it's okay to say no. I had to learn that. I still struggle with the word no. And there's certain things in the classroom I know you have to do, but all the extra things you have to say no. I had to say no for something that I was really gung-ho on doing coming up. But then I realized how much was on my plate. And I was like trying to figure out how I fit this one other event on my plate. I couldn't do it. So I had to come up with the best way to say no, not to please everybody, but to say, I just can't do it. I can't be my best. I'm going to be helping, but I can't do it all. So if teachers learn to say no and have a backing behind it, you know, a lot of people will just say, "Ah, I'm not doing it, but you got to have a backing behind it. You got to have a reason behind it. And again, offer solutions. Say, I'm not going to be able to do this, but maybe can I do it this way? Can my class come up and do this instead of this? Um, they got to start thinking more. Instead of just coming in every day, teaching your your conduct or whatever on your pacing guide, you're going to have to break that mold and you're going to have to do something different. Are they complaining too much? I, I think it's like, yes and no. I, I think... Like some of the complaining is, is very well um, deserved and it's expected. And I know that I've been overwhelmed in the first half of the year and last year because of the disciplinary issues with our kids. And it was overwhelming for the first time in a long time. I had kids say, no, I'm not doing it. We need to change that. And it starts with not only school, but it comes in bringing the community in, bringing the home the parents in and saying, this is what we're dealing with. I know they're dealing with it at home because we're dealing with all the attendance issues. The kids are like, no, I'm not going to school. Mm-hmm. When did that happen? Right. You know, I would never talk back to my kids. And I know it's a different time, my parents. But as a kid, I I learned respect early. Um, I'm not saying it's totally the parents' fault and it's not totally the school's fault. We have to do better. But also the kids have to come to the table. If they can come to the table with 20%, I think the rest of us can come up with the other 80% to give them the education that they need, but everyone has to work toward a common goal. If they don't and, and we're pushing against other sides, it's going to break and no one's going to win. Yeah. I mean, 
we can absolutely hold kids accountable, but we also need, and I would not say, but we, and we also need to understand developmentally where they are. And this is a big problem. I just posted on Twitter today, a question about that, uh, given a scenario and what would you do? And I, it's because it's a common situation about a kid saying, um, I don't want to go to class and they go and run the halls and even security gets involved um, or the principals get involved and they can't get the kid to go back to, to class. So how would, how might you address that, Ryan? I would find they got to have people in the school that they trust. They got to have people in the school. There, there's got to be a, a reason why they're av- avoiding what they need to do. And so unfortunately you're going to have to start with a trusted adult. Once that trusted adult is established and you realize that they can have a, a better relationship with that adult. Maybe you send them there. We, cause a lot of kids won't talk to me as an administrator and a lot of kids do it's the relationship has changed since I've kind of been transforming into that role, but more than anything else, it's important to give that safe environment. I think we, a lot of schools are missing that safe environment where the teachers can teach and the students can learn. And a lot of people are avoiding coming to class and, and doing that because for the year they were on COVID, they were like, I don't like you. And they're going to go up and push the button and say, I don't have to go to class. And it doesn't work that way. But we didn't have any coping skills to teach the kids that it's not right. And it's still when they came back, you know, the the behaviors and stuff like that. They were just they have such a short attention span now because of social media, because of their phones and things like that. We have to almost recreate the wheel. But it starts with a trusted adult. And if they can finally spew out or say what they need to say to that trusted adult, we can kind of start unlocking things that are the reasons why they're not wanting to come to school or not wanting to go to certain classes. And it could be something very serious. And I've seen it. But at the same time, it could be just, eh, I don't feel like it. There's no more of that. We're so afraid to say, no, there's no more of this. You're going to we're going to figure this out and we're going to figure it out together. Involve the parents, involve you know, figure out what's going on. If we don't, and we just keep saying, well, okay, you can still keep wandering the halls. We're not doing anything. We're, we're just avoiding the problem. And that's not helping anybody. But you have to find a trusted adult, create a safe environment, build back trust. I think that's huge. Parents, kids, parents, school teachers, school administrators, we've lost a lot of trust because we are apart so long. And we had to relearn things that we've done for years but we had to relearn it because we were so separated for that one year. I don't think anyone realizes the damage that did on our social skills being apart the year that we were apart. Yeah. I keep hearing it. I hear a lot of well, different people, I guess, in the school system, but school social workers and school counselors saying that certain age groups seem to not have many skills at all. Like sixth graders, they say that they're really lacking in certain areas. And then seventh graders tend to be a little bit snarkier or even meaner than they used to be in the past. And these are seasoned people telling me about this. And so part of the problem is that teachers sometimes feel like nobody's doing anything about this. And then they're sending them to my class and they tell me to send them down to admin or, you know, off for support. And then they send them back and nothing has happened. So yeah, tell me, tell me more about that. You got to have transparency. I, I, I feel like when I, deal with the situation, I make sure I go and talk to all the parties involved and say, this is my reason behind my madness. You know, I just didn't randomly send them back to your class with a pat on the back and a bag of chips and say, off you go. Um, there is a, there has to be systems put in place. There has to be that some of that restorative practices that we need for them to understand that they did something 
and this is the consequence. But in the meantime, before we can get to the consequence, this is what we're going to need you to do because you need to be in the classroom to learn. And the more time that we have spent outside the classroom is useless to them. Sitting there eating a bag of chips in the office is not helping anything. So I had to understand that having that kid back in class, as long as it was a safe environment, as long as it wasn't like a fight and it created more chaos with them coming back, it was needed because they needed that instruction. They needed, and, and then they could handle what they did will be addressed later when it was appropriate for them to be addressed. Now there's certain times though that has to change, um, but teachers need to understand there is a method behind the madness and you need to be in conversations with your administration. As an administrator, I try to be as transparent as possible and I make sure I check in not only with the teacher, the next day I'll check in with a student and I also do follow up calls to parents to let them know good and bad. Um, and I think it's important. Now it takes a lot of my day to do that, but I feel more comfortable being able to talk to the parents saying, hey, I really appreciate you working me with this. They had a great day today. Um, if there's anything else I can do, please let me know. And that open door policy doesn't mean they're going to come running the door every day, but it creates a, an environment where they're like, wow, he really means what he says. And I'm going to stand behind it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it goes back to that word trust. That is so huge. Even trust with parents and parents need to trust the schools, but that has to be developed over time, clearly, right? We've lost some, and not always, because there's a lot of people doing a lot of great things together too. But yeah, I, I would say nine, 85 to 90% of schools are great, but it's that 15 to 10 to 15% that is just kind of putting a dark cloud over education right now. And that needs to change. The focus needs to change and, and help these kids and, and help. And I'm saying kids, but it could be K to 12 and even in, you know, secondary ed they're still dealing with that 15%. They're feeling like they're doing whatever they feel like just because they can get away with it. Um, I'm not a huge disciplinarian, but I do feel like there's certain rules and boundaries that we need to create in schools in order to, uh, to have a good environment. I always use the, the, the old saying of a kindergarten teacher brought her classroom outside for recess. There was no fence. The kids huddled right around her. But as soon as they put a fence in, the fence was a quarter of a mile long. They went all the way to the edge of that fence and played and had fun but they were you know that it goes for now we need boundaries for everything that's why we have rules in sports otherwise it'd be chaos hmm. yeah. boundaries and rules are important yeah yeah absolutely and and you again advocate for teachers when i hear you say that um they need to understand or you go and communicate with them you do value what they're going through and i hear it from you a lot even if it's not being picked up here when I listen to you over and over on Clubhouse, you are so supportive. And one of the things I hear you say, Ryan, is that students have access to school social workers and mental health workers in the school, but teachers do not. They have zero support um, unless they have good colleagues or administration to lean on. So what are you thinking there? Like what can happen and what, what do you think should happen? We need a counselor for, for teachers at school. We need a social worker or, and I know it's, we need to pay them better. We need to pay our mental health professionals better in education. We go out of our way. If you take a look at your salaries of your school board members and the people that are in the the, high, the central office of your school district, and they get a good salary. And I know they're making a lot of decisions and they're very important, but I honestly believe that you pay the counselors, you pay your social workers, you know, more money and treat them like gold. It's going to turn around and help restore your schools back to these thriving environments because people are want to come. P teachers are going to want to stay at your school and want to be a part of that solution to improving everybody. A lot of people right now are coming in and they're leaving every day going, I just want to get through the day. 
that has a change and it has to change with every single person changing one little thing every day to make it better um and and finding out coming up with ways that we can develop our communities again within our schools involving the parents i've asked my parents to come to athletic events and say uh, if you help me do security or sell tickets at my athletic events the rest of the year i'll let you in for free and it's like that give and take it's that you know things that we can do in school to celebrate the accomplishments of not only our students our teachers but also people in the community that have done great things. I would love to bring in more people, not as special speakers, but to come in and have a thousand kids stand up and cheer for them for something that they did. If they were, you know, whatever the case may be. And that creates an ownership. I did a tie drive six years ago where I raised about 1800 ties to give out to all my kids. And it wasn't about the ties. It was about bringing in businessmen and politicians and military and police and having them tie the ties in front of the kids and teaching them saying, this is why it's important to wear a tie. You know, you might use it for a job interview. You might use it for a wedding. You might use it for a funeral. This tie is important and this skill is important. And to have other adults, because I can teach them how to tie a tie in class, but to have other adults in the community and other teachers see that, you know, a simple tie brought together over 3000 people all together, you know, and it was important to me. And, and that's what we need more in schools. We need more people celebrating the accomplishments of everybody and then saying, okay, we have some things that we need to work on. Let's work on them together. But the positivity has to come in and the teachers need to feel like they're welcome, they're valued, they're important. And that's going to help happen when there's someone there that's going to listen to them. I can listen to them all I want, but I'm, I can't give them the support that they need. And we need to do more than just have a app and say, well, you can go to this app and get mental health support. Now we need it right here and there at the school. I've seen yeah. too many teachers walk out with tears in their eyes and that can't happen. We need to solve the problem right then and there, or at least have someone that's got a little bit more knowledge than I do. I can listen, but I can't say it's going to get better because I don't know it will. So we need more mental health in the schools. Kids are important, but our, if the teachers weren't there, there is no school. Hmm. Yeah. Gosh, I know we talk again, we talk a lot about that. And you hear me talk a lot about equipping teachers so that they are more skilled so that, well, because they're positioned right there, we've got rock star people already in our, in our schools. And as much as we would like to hire more mental health professionals, we we've been trying to keep adding them and it's still not working. Like we still have a mental health crisis. And so part of the solution that we say is we'll equip teachers, equip all the adults in your building and parents, um, instead of just teaching kids SEL and resiliency skills and expecting them to thrive. Right. And so just tell me how feasible something like that might be if we equip teachers. I think it's important to give the teachers tools, not only to teach, but you said in order to thrive, uh, you know, and to be able to deal with their own things and deal with maybe their coworkers a little bit better working on relationship building. And when everyone feels more comfortable, they're going to work harder. Professional development is fantastic as long as there's follow-up. You know, you can have that professional development for two days or three days and everyone's like fired up. But then if you don't follow up a couple weeks later, eight weeks later, nine weeks later and say, hey, where are we at right now? How do you guys feel? What are the things that you need? No one likes to have meetings, but sometimes they're important and you're going to, they're going to have to like 
set time and say, this is important, not only for the school, but for me. And more of that needs to be stressed because so many people like do the letter of the law, you know, nine to five and that's it. I have nothing to do with that. I guess I was brought up and, and the people that influenced me on my educational career put the time in before school and after school. And it showed, you know, they, they put the work in. You had to put the work in to get your degree and they get your teacher's license. It just doesn't go away. Though You're constantly learning. You're constantly adapting. You're constantly changing. And if you don't, you're going to be left behind and you're not going to want to be here. So having those um, opportunities for teachers to, to get the skills that they need is important. And, and, and needed, but then it's the follow-up that needs to be more than anything else. Because we can have some great speakers come in, but if you don't commit, you don't like commit to a more than a couple days, it's on to the next thing. Because like you said in the beginning, teachers are overwhelmed. Just another thing on my plate, just another thing. We're doing another thing. Oh, here it comes. You know, that mindset has to change because it's good, but let's see what stuff we can use for the rest of the year, for the next two years, three years going down the road. Yeah, I mean, God, no, say that. Go ahead, please. And also be afraid to, and, and not be afraid to say, well, this didn't work with this school, but let's try this. You know, like uh, we we had to come in. We had the professional development. We got some of it, but the teachers need to come back with feedback. They need to say, I, I appreciated this, but this is what I need to know. And that's going to help you retailer things, just like when you're teaching a class. I mean, we have to start communicating better. Yeah. Oh my gosh. The communication is, is huge. And there are so few teachers that are actually, well, statistically, and that might be better now because the data is a, about a year, year and a half old. Um, but teachers were only referring their students 19% of the time to their school social worker and school counselor. And the reason was, is because they weren't hearing that feedback. They didn't know what was happening as a follow-up. And I actually did a really great interview with a, an awesome school social worker from Pennsylvania. I know that you, you used to live there. From there. Are you from Pennsylvania? I'm uh, in New York, but I stayed like 12 years in Pennsylvania. My mom lives in the Amish country. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Now I know we talked about Pennsylvania. So anyway, she's up there too. And she was saying that one of the hardest lessons she's learned is that she would take on like a teacher would refer one of her students, their students to her, and she would see the student and she didn't want to bother the teacher with a follow-up email because she was like, Oh my gosh, they're inundated with so much. I don't want to bother them. But the teachers called her out in the middle of a staff meeting about it. And they were like, there's this, this one who called her out specifically. And she said she was so embarrassed because she didn't realize that she needed to follow back up with them. And I said, that was a great learning experience because she got really great at it after that. So that, it goes back to that communication, Ryan. Teachers care so much about kids, so they want to know what's going on once they do refer them. Yeah, and, and the follow-up could be more than just an email. It could be when I'm walking through the hallways after school or before school saying, hey, how's everything going? Did you hear anything more about this? Just checking on you. And then if they say, no, I'm good, you just keep rolling. But it might in, open up a conversation, you know, and, and I try to do that with my students as well. I know that I lacked on that before with the relationships. I felt I got along with my kids going in the past, but to actually have conversations and be an active listener too, not just go, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, but actually ask questions that can open the door for other things that is important. Yeah. Yeah. And those questions, some, if you just learn a few questions to ask, they can be so impactful. And that's exactly what I want teachers to know is if you ask people what they need, you're validating them already. So a kid who is really stressed and out, if you say, well, what is it that you need? That is such a different approach 
isn't it? It's simple. Yeah. I mean, it's one of the simple things that we could just change. Yeah. And I feel like that stuff needs to be put on like a little poster in every classroom as a reminder, because sometimes we do get inundated. We, there's certain kids that trigger us. There's certain things that yeah. trigger us yeah. and we kind of lose that, you know, compassion and, and empathy that we need and we can't do it for everybody, but there might be one kid that one day that you make a difference and that's going to go with you for the rest of your life. Cause you're going to be the right person that they need. Yeah. And teachers yeah. really want that. Don't yeah. they? Yeah. Teachers want to, they want to have those tools and sometimes having a little card on their desk or you know, next to their computer, reminding them who they are and what they're doing. And if they, you know, it's almost like a mental health kit, you know, like a, a first aid kit. Um, it might be help, helpful to have that and to be able to say, man, I feel overwhelmed right now. What are some things that I remember doing? And it sounds so trivial, especially, I mean, I've been in education now for 25 years, but I could use it just as a refresher. Um, it could be something that we can get an email every day saying, hey, just a mental health tip, you know, dealing with your kids. Why don't you try this? And sometimes it sticks. Sometimes it won't. But the ones that stick could turn around and be tools for other kids. So you never know. Yeah, I find that teachers would love just to have the space to talk about this outside of the walls of school, even just that follow up is key because they need to get this off their chest. And you know, most of them and the great majority of them are trying. And if they're feeling so burned out, it's because something is just missing, right? And and sometimes it's something small that we can just help them to kind of fulfill. They won't talk in school either. They won't talk at meetings. They won't, number one, they want it to be over. They don't care because they feel like when the next person talks, they all roll their eyes. It's not that. If, if people have the courage to stand up and talk and ask questions legitly that are making a difference and something that's weighing on their heart, we need to kind of create those spaces. And that comes from the top down. That might come from breakout rooms. That might come from having like a, a forum, a Google Doc or a, a Microsoft forum that you can ask questions and then take a look at later and then revisit. Um, I think what's important with like an app like Clubhouse is there's no school. There's no, you know, I can talk freely. And it's not that I'm going to get in trouble for saying what I'm saying, but I feel like there's not so many prying eyes on me for having a question and wanting to present information and, and being able to say what's on my heart. Teachers don't want to do that because got to go, got to go, got to go. We need to take a breath and say, this is important, whether it's a round table discussion, you know, we need to rebuild those relationships. And, and again, trust. They don't trust that someone's going to listen to them. Why say it? Mm, that's so powerful. Oh my goodness. Okay. Well, let's, let's talk about um, anything that you've got going on and how people can get in touch with you. Um, on all my socials, uh, Instagram and Twitter, um, it's at uh, MR underscore Pelkey, P-E-L-K-E-Y. Um, again, I'm on Clubhouse on the regular. I run the Education House. I run the Educator's Closet House on Clubhouse. But uh, for the most part, I'm just trying to keep my head up. I'm in the middle of writing my second book uh, about self-help for teachers and showing them that they're just, they are just more than who they are. They're more than their title. They're more than, you know, I teach PE or I teach math. They're more than that. And you can be more than that. You can be an author, a speaker. You can make differences on so many different levels if you just kind of change your narrative and look at yourself as being multifaceted. And if you don't, you're going to be pigeonholed for the rest of your life. And if you're happy with that, stay with it. I know people that have done it for 40 years and they were happy doing that road, but there's also more out there. 
and you can make a bigger impact by just taking that step, that one step, um, and realize that there's other people to either push behind you, reach out to grab you. If you fall, I mean, don't be afraid to take that one step to make a difference. I mean, that's amazing. And I can't wait for your book. When is that coming out? Hope by summer. Hope by summer. Great. And, uh, my first book is still is still doing strong. It's called The Boy Who Lost His Ears. And what was funny is I looked on chat GPT about it to see what they knew about it. And they came up with something totally weird about a boy losing his ears in the war. That's not like, that's not the book at all. So, <laughs> but can people get that on Amazon? Yes, they can get it on Amazon. It's called The Boy Who Lost His Ears, kind of a true story. And um, it's just a small book geared toward grades three, four, and five. Um, I've done some pop-up authors on Zoom where I've talked to elementary schools and uh, I'm going to continue to push that because uh, listening skills are important. Without listening skills, they become lost in a world that's constantly trying to tell you something. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Well, we have the book here and I've read it, of course, in my 10 and 12 year olds. They love reading and they've reread it several times. So I see it around my house all the time with, you know, the cover. So it's really neat. And thank you. Thank you so much for being on here, Ryan. Honestly, it's really a pleasure talking with you. I appreciate all the support you give to teachers and educators all around the country. It's my pleasure. And I'm here to help. Good. Thank you all. And everybody, listen up. Please go and get his book on Amazon. And if you'd like to get our book on improving school mental health, the thriving school community solution, we have a free book study kit. If you'd like to do that over the summer. Oh my gosh, look at you showing that on the screen. Thank you. Ryan has that. That is so sweet. See, we all support each other because we're all trying to do the same darn thing and helping each other out. I appreciate it. All right. Well, I'm going to wrap it up, but um, please reach out to Ryan, you all. And uh, thanks again for being here, Ryan. I appreciate it. Thank you so much.